Hello, Ollie. Welcome to Sustainababble 10. 10! My goodness, double figures. Yeah, Sustainababble is X. We are in <laughs> We are in Roman numerals. We have made it. Our little teeny tiny little irritant of a podcast that's all about how everything is complicated in the world of the environment and why can't people just express themselves clearly is 10. And I'm delighted. I am equally delighted. I can't believe we made it this far, but I hold out confidence for the future, at least for the next half an hour. What are we going to be talking about this week, Dave? Well, we have got small irritating things to talk about this week. We've got hedgehogs. Uh, uh, what? You can't call a hedgehog a small irritating thing. You can. Have you ever carried one around in your trousers? Well, not sober. Yeah, well, quite. Well, speaking of things you've carried around in your trousers, we've also got George Osborne, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, <laughs> and we've got a very small little island on the other side of the world, which has become, apparently, the single largest UK conservation success story ever. Wowee. All right, well, Wowee. we better crack on. Let's get on with it, shall we? Sustainable of the week. So, Sustainababble of the Week. Every week we have a little look at the egregious eco-guff, the nonsense spoken in the name of going green, and we tear it to nary pieces. What have we got this week, Dave? Well, do you know where the Pitcairn Islands are? Well, well, I do now, but I mm-hmm. certainly didn't until yesterday when we had a little look on Google Maps, and my God, they are remote tiny teeny little islands in the in pretty much the center of the south pacific in the middle of nowhere miles from anywhere draw a line from australia to peru and it's pretty much halfway in between it's extraordinarily remote yeah and we own it it's one of those one of those <laughs> obviously we own it obviously yeah <laughs> we used to own we used to own like you know half the world now what we've got left is these bonkers little outcrops where there is you know probably a, a statue of victoria on top of a hill um <laughs> And a fish and chip shop at the bottom of it. Forty-five people live there, apparently, on Pitcairn Islands, and, wow. and you know they're all they're all British citizens. They're all subject to Her Majesty. Wow. Um, That's so weird, that isn't is it? Weird. So weird. The sort of place where the uh, you know the, the the island's only police officer had to stop being the police officer because no crime was ever committed ever. <laughs> so they just carried on also being the island's only bank clerk and the island's only poet and that sort of thing. Um, wow. So we own it. And uh, that means we decide what happens in it. And what has happened in it is it was announced last week that there's going to be a marine protection area around the entire thing. The UK government announced it. George Osborne announced it in his budget. And it's a blinking good thing, if you want my opinion. uh, Well, as always, I want your opinion. But I suppose that's kind of what you technically interested in. Well, interested is a strong word but no i seek your opinion but that's that sounds that definitely sounds good these are pristine pristine waters as yet untouched by the ravages of of large industrial fishing fleets and 
presumably home to some pretty spectacular species. Oh, amazing stuff. I've seen some of the pictures of it. Sylvia Earle is a very famous marine biologist, has described it as being one of the most pristine ecosystems in the world. And it is, you know, proper, you know, blue, crystal blue waters and, and amazing multicoloured fish and coral reefs and things that probably would bite your head off given half a chance. But, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And like you say, the fishing fleets can't get there yet, but they're coming because the boats are getting bigger and refrigeration's getting better and all that sort of stuff. So a couple of MPs, uh, Zach Goldsmith and Nick Hurd, have been banging on for ages about trying to get the UK government to say this whole thing is a marine protection area. And last week it happened. And George Osborne announced it in his budget. And here's where it all starts to get a bit weird. Go on. Well... So apart, George from the, apart from the fact that there's a small man in a suit sat in Westminster saying what can and can't happen around a tiny island pretty much as far away as it's possible to be. Weirder than that. Yeah, that is where it starts getting weird. Um, it starts getting weird as soon as George Osborne gets involved, like you say. Um, so George Osborne being the Chancellor of the Exchequer, I didn't know much about this. And I assume that if he is the man who's signing this off, it's because he is getting out his checkbook and doling out a great deal of cash. Right? Yeah, it makes, because, makes sense makes sense you've got to inf- you have a marine protection area you've got to you know pay for looking after it so now everyone was very excited and welcomed george osborne and said it was amazing um but then i had a look at actually you know the the, the document the written down bit that says what he's actually done and i got a bit confused and maybe arabella can tell us what it is exactly that george osborne um, has committed to do Identifying a practical naval method of enforcing the MPA at a cost that can be accommodated within existing departmental expenditure limits. Hmm. Um, hmm. Now, hmm. now I see what you mean about weird because a practical naval method of enforcing the marine protection area that's a boat with a gun on it <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a small boat with a a, a dinghy with an ak yeah. um at a cost that can be accommodated within existing departmental expenditure limits mm. so that means no more money doesn't it pretty much what he said is <laughs> we'll work out if we can afford a boat from the money that i've already said you can have and I don't, if, we, if we can, we'll pay we, for one. If we can. And it's not even saying we will. It's basically going, we'll look at if we can afford a boat, right? <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't it understand lots true. of things. It can't be true. I don't understand lots of things about this. I don't understand, firstly, why the Chancellor of the Exchequer, this the, the, this particular bloke in a suit 12,000 miles away from the most remote island in the world, gets to make the decision in the first place. got naff all to do with the Treasury and, and him, as far as I can see. I don't understand why all this fuss was made about, oh, in his budget, George Osborne's going to announce this marine protection area. And all he's done is he says, you can have a boat if you want, but you're not having any more money for it. And there was fuss, wasn't there? Because, I mean, you know, you and I were hearing rumours about this. uh, And and as you said, it's a long old campaign by some, we should say, some very admirable uh, members of parliament who have really, really um, pushed this one through. And and we do want to give them credit. It's important. But... But there was a lot of fuss about it. It was one thing we kept hearing. It's going to be in a budget. It's going to be in a budget. And then... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's... So it's just... I don't understand it. I don't understand, like, either they could already have done this anyway. They could afford a boat. 
And if not, what's what's the Chancellor said? He basically goes, well, you can have a boat if you want. I never said you couldn't. It's basically what he's done. Um, which I just think is it's all a bit weird. And the weirdest thing about it, and th- there are some really decent MPs of behind this, um, but it is a bit... I really don't want to rain on their parade or whittle on their chips, but it I is a bit... You know what that bit, means now. You know what that means now. It is a little bit like having spent five years trying to get this thing to happen, which in itself is very significant, but could have been done at absolutely any point by this government without apparently spending any more money on it at any time... Whenever they wanted. Yeah. So, so what, they, what they've actually done is, is sort of draw a little line around the island on the map and said, right, that's a marine protection area, haven't they? That's an effect all they've done that, that wasn't there before because they haven't gone, given any definite money to the people no. who's going to be on the dinghy to, you know, protect it. So could have done it whenever. Very strange. Very strange. And I, I mean, one thing that slightly bugs me, and I am going to whittle on, on some chips here, is that <sighs> there are other places right, under presumably more imminent threat or existing threat of total marine exploitation, degradation and anything else that rhymes. And, you know, our seas are in a pretty shoddy state and they're in urgent need of protection. As you're talking about, the industrial fishing practices um, in European waters are a a terrible, terrible crisis for the oceans. And, And, you know, come on, just sort that stuff out. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to go and protect Pitcairn. I'm delighted, but... Oh, it's annoying, and of course, the only reason that we, the only reason that it's so easy to protect Pitcairn in the first place is because no bugger goes there and fishes because they well, can't exactly. get there. Um, you know where play what you it's really one hell of a need, trip, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> what you really so, need is to have marine protection areas around the places where people are taking all the fish away. I mean, yeah. that's what you really want, but that of course requires getting all up in fishermen's faces, which is not something that I see a great clamour from this government to do. Yes, Inhoff. Our good old friend Inhoff. This is the newly named section where we look at the nasty, nasty people who have ruined the world during the past week. Uh, Who have we got this week? And is it someone we might have already been talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember. Has has George Osborne already been uh, either our Inhoff of the week or our complete and utter nasty toe rag? Has has he had a go already? I can't remember. I don't know, but I mean, he's already in on this podcast. He's, um, yeah, so our Inhofe of the week is the Chancellor, George Osborne, who, uh, uh, God, where do you, where do you begin? Well, let's begin with the budget. So it was the budget last week. Um, and the thing that the Chancellor did, small mercies and all that, he didn't stand up and say, renewable energy is the devil's work. And anyone who puts a solar panel on their house is a communist. And I will take down the entire apparatus myself with a spanner. He didn't say that. Uh, he did say, Dear oil and gas barons in the North Sea, you are spiffing. I love your work. I love everything you're doing. You're very pretty. Um, here, have £1.3 billion of tax cuts to go and drill every drop of oil and gas from the North Sea. That's what he did. Yeah, despite the fact that it's going to bring in even less tax revenue for the UK than it did 
before because everything's so cheap. Oh God, I'm boring myself saying phrases like that. Yeah, well, we have a whole you know. podcast about the oil price, of course, episode four. Which yes, um, yeah. see God, do so. you remember that off the top of your head? Episode four. Episode four. Yeah, bloody hell. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's all sort of sadly depress, uh, depressingly predictable, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. We well, sort indeed, of knew. indeed. I don't wish to preempt the prediction section, but one of us <laughs> predicted it. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't be so sure. We'll come oh, on to that okay. later, yeah. but. Um, Yes, Georgie Osborne, Georgie Osborne. And it is, oh God, you know, climate change, bloody species extinction, everything. And all you can bring yourself to do in your last budget is say, hey guys, buddy oil baron guys, have 1.3 bill. It's on me. I know. And it's particularly, it's it's been a few weeks of this thing called divestment. Check out episode five, episode fans. Um, oh, which you are on fire. I'm on fire. You'll have seen The Guardian Human this index. week. The Guardian this week, last week, um, has launched its brand new colossal great campaign and a new green podcast, irritatingly, um, to talk about its massive campaign for divestment. You'll have seen all the stuff about uh, Oxford University being asked to get out of fossil fuels, the Bank of England warning that fossil fuels will bring massive macroeconomic problems, blah de blah de blah de blah blah Like everyone you talk to, Ed Davey was talking about like, the, the energy secretary was talking about like getting out of fossil fuels and stuff, some fossil fuels anyway. Um, we cannot burn more than a fraction of the oil and gas that we already know about, right? Something like twenty percent of the yeah. oil and gas is yeah. already there. We can't. We have. We have to leave eighty percent of it in the ground. What Osborne's done is he's actively encouraging people with tax breaks to go out and search for more and drill the stuff that we don't know about already, right? If every other country in the world did that, well, it's game over. Absolutely game over. You know. Um, and just like we were talking about the little tiny pit curtains, you know, people do notice what the UK do still. They are going to look at Osborne trying to get literally every drop of oil and gas and go, oh, well, that's some of that. Why shouldn't we? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's not funny, what I've just said, but I'm annoyed about it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pretty annoyed as well. And um, he didn't, he, he even had the temerity to have a sort of greenish tie on. That's what really got me. Mm. There was a sort of, you know, slight hue of, of bluey, grey, green to that tie. And it should have just been jet. It should have been dripping with oil. It should have been a black tie dripping with oil. That's what he should have done. He should have turned up to deliver his speech squelching. He should have squelched through the chamber and just like gorging himself, licking his fingers full of oil, going, What up, boys? You know what's coming. That is one of the least pleasant mental images uh, of this entire podcast. But I am going to try and beat it later on. <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful. So, no Schadenfreude this week, but plenty of cheer. And in a break to our normal schedule, we're going straight on to Reasons to be cheerful because it's been bloody gloomy so far. So, Dave, cheer me up. Well, you like hedgehogs, don't you? Yes, they're lovely. Yeah, particularly in your trousers. Thank you. Yep. Carry on. And <laughs> I will. And. Uh, You'll be delighted to hear that the UK's first large-scale hedgehog sanctuary, this has been suggested to us actually by sceptical John, our friend on Twitter, the the UK's first large-scale hedgehog sanctuary in the UK is being opened in the West Midlands, uh, which is north of London, 
And <laughs> <laughs> wow. And yeah. there goes all of our listenership outside of the M25. <laughs> it's, it's, um, and what it is, is it's for her, so, uh, well, it's, it does what it says in the tin. It's a place for hedgehogs to live, which is pretty good because they're running out of places to live. Um, and there used to be 36 million of them. And now there are thought to be less than a million, which is by any calculation, pretty bad news for hedgehogs. Right. So your, re- your reason to be cheerful is that the decline in hedgehogs is so abrupt and, and and they're just falling off a cliff, almost literally, that a reserve has opened up to try and stop them dying out completely. It's a bit shit when you put it like that, isn't it? Um, yeah. That's... I mean, this is this is a role usually reserved for you, you know, yeah. taking the shine off anything and, you know, applying the, the cloud to the silver lining. But Christ, come on. 36 yeah. million of the critters. I used to see them in my mum and dad's garden all the time. Never seen them, never seen them now. Only one million left. And apparently, as usual, it's bloody human beings that are getting in the way. Um, you know, loss of habitat. They like to roam. They like to travel long distances. They can't get through people's fences in their gardens. Uh, probably dogs and cats are to blame. I don't know. But <sighs> upsetting. This is not cheering me up. You had one job. Cheer me up. And you... Well... I'm sorry about that, but Blimey. I thought, like, don't people like cute, fluffy animals? People do like cute, fluffy animals. Okay, hedgehogs aren't fluffy, but they do like cute animals. Um, and so I thought, you know, people will get very excited when by things like snow leopards and beavers and uh, panda bears and hedgehogs and stuff like that. And they come over all peculiar and start going like, wee! And so they get all <laughs> excited when you tell them that like, they can save them and stuff. That's basically what campaigning for environmental protection is, right? Find a cute, fluffy animal and make out that if you give some money to a charity, you'll save it. So I thought you'd be happy. I thought you liked that kind of thing. Well, you misjudged it. You misjudged it horribly. Now, well, you, you bring up a wider point there, don't you, which is, I don't know, that... There's a phrase which might qualify as babble. I'm going to say it anyway, and we can... Got the klaxon ready. I've got the klaxon ready. Yeah, dust it off. It's been a while. Charismatic megafauna. (laughs) Screw you and your klaxon. I'm going to say it again. Charismatic megafauna. Big, big animals that are fluffy and nice and cute and usually look a little bit human or or whatever. So I don't know. But the the panda's the classic, isn't it? And our good friends at the World Wildlife Fund have had the panda as their their logo for many a year and it's been the emblem of all things conservation. But there there is a nagging question in my mind about the point of going after these single species that happen to be particularly adorable but not necessarily... I don't know if you can say any species is more important than another, than another, but not necessarily the most important sort of conservation target. And in fact, one of my heroes, Chris Packham, actually really came out quite punchily on this a few years ago. And he was talking about the, the, the panda and he said, here's a species. God, this is, <laughs> this is quite hard, isn't it? Here's a species that of its own accord has gone down an evolutionary cul-de-sac. Oh. It, it's not a strong species. Unfortunately, it's big and cute and it's a symbol of the World Wildlife Fund and we pour millions of pounds into panda conservation. I reckon we should pull the plug, let oh. them go with a degree of dignity. Pandacide? <laughs> you can't go around killing pandas. The woofers will get very, very upset if you do that. But he's, I guess, I mean, 
he must have had a bad night's sleep before he said that because that is particularly crotchety even by his standards I'd love it I, I wish he listened to this podcast I'd love to know what he thinks anyway he's got a point He's got a point, which is uh, the is panda so is. You, hang on, let me let's just be clear. You like you wanted to kill all the pandas. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what you're, it's not what you're not saying. It's, <laughs> well, it's not what I'm not. What I'm not. What I'm saying. <laughs> uh, the the point I believe he's trying to make, whether or not I agree with it, is is entirely open for debate. Is that pandas rely on basically one plant, bamboo, right, to eat. And they have to eat a huge quantity of it. And it's incredibly low in nutrient value. So they have to spend loads of energy breaking it down just to get the tiny amount of of quantity. So they need loads of very particular habitat. And that habitat, sadly for them, is, well, it's massively depleted. So they're not the most adaptable and resilient of all species out there. And we, because they look cute, poor, every known resource into trying to keep them alive but but it's not the panda's fault is it it's not the panda's fault that we're using all their land up and chopping all their bamboo down it's not it's not fair to say they've gone down an evolutionary cul-de-sac the road was just fine and we built houses at the end of it quite literally (laughs) yeah no i I do think he was a little (laughs) a little strong there um i'm not sure you can't really say to a panda well you made your bed you better sleep in it yeah you should have taken a right turn at that crossroads mate you didn't you went down a (laughs) cul-de-sac but i do think the point the 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 basic point he's making people obsess about the cute fluffy animals and they don't care about the ugly fish and the ugly beetle i've got a list in front of me of 10 of the uk's most uh critically endangered animal species your hedgehog is on there actually um that's so sad that's just really ridiculous they were ubiquitous when i was a kid yeah, uh, and the main reason thought to be climate change, incidentally, that hedgehogs are under under so much pressure because they get woken up at the wrong time of year when there's no food and then they starve because it's a bit oh, bit warmer. Jesus. You know that? There we are. You've got your um, you've got some charismatic fauna, megafauna on there. You've got your red squirrel, which of course people go potty about. Oh, um, good news on that front this week though. What? There was a pine martin seen in. Cornwall, first time in 50 years, and pine martins eat grey squirrels, which are out competing red squirrels. Grey squirrels being in, you know, imported to the country a while ago. By us. By us, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, yeah. pine martins coming back. So, okay, so you like you want to kill all the pandas and all the grey squirrels. I'm just trying to get clear where you not, stand. I'm not going to rise to this. Yeah. I am going to rise to this. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got things like your turtle doves, you know, which obviously um, people like, um, which is... Its numbers have fallen in 40 years by 93%, largely because there's mm. not enough grain for them to eat because we are um, using up all the land. So, but you've got loads of other stuff in there as well, like there's a particular type of beetle and a particular type of cricket. Do you know cicadas? 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 You know the I things. I call them the cicadas, yeah. Cicadas. You say cicada. You I say potato. cicada. Yeah, that's what I'll um, we've got some of them, apparently, but they're basically basically all dead uh, there's a sort of moth that we have been just destroying all the habitat off called a v-moth that's basically gone uh, the darkling beetle we've been chopping down all, all the trees it lives in that's basically gone and a particular sort of toad um, which has gone away for reasons actually that it doesn't say here but the point being right that all of these creatures are beautiful and unique and diverse um, and we're basically killing them all just by being horrible destructive humans but no one ever gets upset about that no one ever gives like massive donations to save the natajack toad do they no and i i don't i want to know if there is a sort of theory behind um campaigning that that puts these single species very very fluffy charismatic 
um, big species up front that that suggests that if you convince people to save those, they're then going to go and go on and and pour money and time into saving your your natterjack toad because it doesn't necessarily follow, does it? But as you say, every you know every species is performing a critical critical role in a delicate and finely balanced ecosystem. Um, is that is that babble? Do I get a klaxon for that as well? Yeah, oh. another one. Thanks. Okay, try. Thanks. Right. Carry on. Um, and um, you mentioned you mentioned beetle there, and I have a particular fondness, an inordinate fondness for beetles, which is the title of a book I've got. Um, but people only really engage with them when they're infesting their wooden beams or eating their flower or something. They, you know, they're perceived of as a pest, whereas actually they're they're completely critical to the health of everything on the planet. One in one in every five five organisms is a beetle globally stick that in your pipe and smoke it no don't smoke the beetles keep telling you about maybe that's the problem our relationship with animals is just weird though isn't it i mean we talked before about people obsessing about birds getting killed in wind turbines and then going away and eating chicken you know we we race animals we hunt them we use them for food we wear their skin and you know people see a sheep and they go that's a sheep and then they see a dog which is like basically kind of evolutionarily the same animal and they go oh it's a dog i love dogs but it's basically the same thing um i i don't think i don't really buy the argument i don't see the evidence that says if you get people turned on to protecting animals by getting them all excited about like a snow leopard that they then go from that and they'll want to save the ugly fish because i don't think i don't see people going to bat for the ugly fish i don't think people work like that i think we've got a really weird relationship with animals we save the cute ones and we're not interested in the other ones and i think i think that says a great deal about why it is that we're nausing up so much of the natural world to be honest so i guess what i'm wondering is whether people who are working for these organizations think do you know what we're never going to be able to persuade people to give us a fiver to tackle the actual root cause of of this it's not that you know percy the panda is losing his perk so give us a fiver it's actually 200 200,000 square kilometers of habitat need to be left the hell alone just need to leave late nature to get on with its thing and, and humans need to not be farming it you know or at least not intensively farming it um but that's not sexy campaigning is it that's that's never going to tug at the heartstrings that's not going to get people digging deep so so i guess that is why they put the put the fluffy orangutans up front and center and i guess you can even link back to, to what we we're talking about at the beginning about pit cairn because actually the best way to protect those seas is to sort climate change out, it is to sort out, you know, large scale industrial uh, pollution and, and, and fishing practices worldwide. It is not to draw a line on a, on a map and get all woozy about it in a budget. Prediction time. So prediction time. Every, yes, yes, every <laughs> week we uh, we get our crystal balls out and we look into the future, see what's going to happen in the world of the environment. But and I can see, I can see you're excited about this. We also reflect on yes. what we said last week and how we got on. Do you want to say how you got on? Dave? I won, didn't I? I? Got it right, didn't I? I got it right. I got it right, well, didn't I? Didn't I? 
Well, didn't I? What did you say? I said that the thing would happen, and it happened, didn't it? What did you say would happen? I said that a uh, complete and utter nasty, awful person, Mr. Osborne, would not say anything at all about uh, renewable energy. That's what I said. Mm. You also you also said you had to have a little bit of sort of linguistic um, license there because I said, does that include you know solar and wind and the like? That's what you said, and solar and wind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the like, and the well, like. the like, like mm. Mike. Like. Yeah, and what there was, there was one tiny little phrase in what he said, wasn't there? We're giving more power to Wales. We're working on a Cardiff City deal, and we're opening negotiations on the Swansea Bay Tidal Lagoon. <laughs> well, that doesn't count. Tidal Lagoon, renewable energy. Well, yeah, but he didn't like. He, he was referring to it in the same way you might have said, and we're doing a lot of stuff on, on watering cans. Like, it, there's nothing inherently renewable energy about it. It's just a thing that he's. What do you, what do you mean? There's nothing inherently renewable energy well, about a tidal lagoon. I mean, it is. No, this is exactly what it is. But he, uh, yeah, but he didn't. Uh, you thought he'd scored a goal. You haven't. You I mentioned it. But, and you know, you know as well as better than me that every single word in that speech is poured over. There isn't any fluff. Unlike Sustainable, that is extremely focused, and they know exactly what they're doing. It's in there for a reason. He said it: tidal lagoon, renewable energy. Bang! Thank you. Uh, can I have a half a point? No, of course uh, not. What about if I could prove the other half of my prediction that he was? clenching his buttocks in time to a marching song in his head as he was uh, as he was leading up to his announcement of GDP being 2.3% in the year 2946. If you can prove that, I will give you not just a point, but a pint. Such right. will be my, my gratitude. A two pence cheaper pint. Well, I shall work on it and I'll get back to you next week with proof. So... Your turn. What you got? Yeah, well, this week I am predicting that there's going to be a very specific reaction in the press to our soda eclipse. We're recording this on a Thursday and tomorrow, Friday, we've got an almost total eclipse of the sun. Very exciting. However, it does mean that solar panels won't be getting all the sunshine they usually get. And I think somebody in the nasty bit of the press is going to put on their front page that this proves once and for all that you can't rely on solar energy or renewables and instead we should go back to good old reliable coal and gas. Oh God, I hope you're wrong, but you're not, are you? They are going to do that. It is going to happen. Some meathead in the press is going to think they're being clever and come up with some clickbait that just Mm. says, look, see, even the sun turns off. This is, you know, we can't rely on this foreign sun coming over here. (laughs) using up our subsidised subsidised we need good old British fossil fuels and oh it's going to happen isn't it I think it might I think it might of course it's possible that you uh, that it might happen before people actually listen to this podcast because we're recording this on a Thursday eclipses Friday and you know anything can happen so uh, it's possible that people will hear this by which time it will have happened and your prediction of what will have been said won't have been said and won't actually have come true and therefore you don't get a point and I need you more than so that's just about it for this week's sustainable 10x in the can thank you very much Dave you are delightful ollie you were a beautiful island in the middle of a sea of turpitude thank you very very much for all that you've done thank you listener for listening got a bit funny <laughs> got a bit odd didn't you it's that hedgehog in your pants 
Yeah. Uh, thanks, listener, for listening. Thanks for downloading us. Uh, you know where to get us on the usual places. Please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice if you haven't already, because it means the world. Uh, let us know uh, via at the Babble Wagon or email at hello at sustainababble.fish or on our Facebook page at Sustainababble. Just tell us what you think, any ideas. Uh, we, as, as regular contributors will know, we do use your stuff because some stuff in this edition was suggested by listeners. So thanks very much. Thank you very much to Dickie Moore of Bearcraft fame for his wonderful music, which we have used throughout the podcast so far. We're ever grateful. Okay, well, we will see you on the other side of the solar eclipse. Oh, very good. Have a lovely week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.